0: Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download
1: the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening.
0: Hey, yo, welcome back, everybody. New Fantasy Sports today right here on SportsGrid. Craig Mish taking a little time out. And in the meantime, we're going to talk to one of my bestest friends in all the fantasy sports industry. You probably know him from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, which is now Sports Grid Radio from In This League, which is also a podcast, which is also a Ginsu Knife. And it's also something that you can use around the house for other things. But he is that useful. Again, uh, he is one of the contributors to the Fantasy Black Book. He does all of our college write-ups and our IDP write-ups. He is invaluable in that world and in real life as well. He's the one, the only Scott Bogman. Boggs, welcome to the show, my friend. How you doing?
2: Thank you for having me, Joe. I, I appreciate the invite. And, you know, it's no different than with Mish or me on the show, right? It's same thing. Of course, uh, you know, well,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, you're probably not going to hammer me the way Mish does on a daily basis. So, actually, you know, every now and then it's nice to have a little break, you know, and I my... stick
2: to that on texts,
0: you know, <laughs> you just for you the stick most to part. that exactly, just on DMs. That's <laughs> when you can hammer me on stuff. But, uh, I wanted to bring you on because, you know, I know we're kind of early in the season still, and I think this is a great time where people are looking at their leagues and taking a look and saying, okay, how can we kind of freshen up our fantasy football going into 2020? Some leagues get stagnant sometimes and other people are looking for some challenges. And you and I both enjoy the IDP. We are going to be going into an amazing 32 team dynasty IDP league. I am super excited for that draft. We'll have to have you on after that's over to recap on that madness of how that's going to go. But I wanted to just kind of just set the stage a little bit and give the reason why people shouldn't be intimidated by IDP leagues and and why it's a fun thing to, even if you're just going to go like five or six deep, that it's something to try out and kind of shake the trees a little bit, because there's a lot more to fantasy in football than just offense.
2: Well, I mean, look, it, there, there's two things that really annoy me about the way people react to IDP. It's number one, if you ask if they've ever done an IDP league, it almost feels like you're asking them, hey, have you ever joined a cult? And, <laughs> that's how they act. They're like, Have you ever read this? Like, uh, you know, we pray to the lizard god. It's not a cult. It's a religion. And the other thing is, especially with people that also play baseball and are big baseball fans, uh, they never take into account, like, you would never, ever have a league. And I guess there are some leagues like this. But I can't imagine you would want to play in a league where you would just get a team pitching staff, right? Right. So instead of... Yeah. Instead of taking the Diamondbacks, you know, you know, anybody, uh, you know, you would take the whole roster and, and just say, that's my pitching staff. You would be insulted if someone uh, expected you to do that. So that's why I never understood. And, and fantasy football can be more casual. Obviously, there's way more people that are just kind of in and out. Uh, they look for the big stats and that's it. But For those of you that have six, seven, eight leagues, which most of you listening to this probably do, uh, it's it's about time to try ADP, even if you're just uh, doing a couple guys at a time, because it's just it's way more fun. You can watch both sides of the ball. You can uh, you can be happy when, you know, whoever gets an interception for you or gets to the quarterback, you know, and it makes those guys way more valuable and fun to watch. TJ Watt, way more fun to watch when you have him as an IDP. Versus if you have the Steelers defense, it's all right. I got a sack there, but what are they going to do on the next play for me? It's kind of an empty feeling to me. To have a full defense. So yeah. I much prefer IDPs.
0: Uh, I, I agree with you, man. It's super fun. I mean, sacks are sexy, man. Let's go after it. Right. Charlie, we gotta get a shirt made out of it. You know, sacks are sexy. I think that's <laughs> that's gonna catch on. Uh
2: so that may like, not the, be phrased the way uh, you want it to be phrased. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: think it's perfectly fine. I think you're crazy. <laughs> so uh let's let's talk a little bit about if you are gonna venture in, what the ideal scoring is, because it's stupid to add something into a league and then not make it relevant or make it an afterthought. You don't wanna make it something like kicker, you wanna make it something that is at least as relevant as tight end, if not more potentially. And from your perspective in terms of scoring, is there an ideal scoring that you would kind of put out there potentially of, of at least maybe an approach that way you're valuing the IDP players, not just adding them for S's and G's.
2: Right. And this is the issue with a lot of leagues is there isn't a standard scoring. Yahoo has their own type of scoring uh, fan tracks and, Uh, ESPN have their own type of scoring, too. So, you know, I do the individual defensive podcast still with our friend Gary Davenport. And this is kind of the the scoring that we have settled on. It would be a one and a half points for a solo tackle, uh, 0.75 for an assisted tackle, four for a sack, four for a pick, two for a fumble recover, two for a forced fumble, one for a pass deflection, and six for any touchdown. And that brings you up to where the IDPs are not – they're not going to be mixed into the first, second, third round, anything like that. You can raise the scoring to be like that, and that's what we have in our giant uh, 32-man lead, Joe. Right, yeah. Is, it's, uh, it's,
0: pretty, it's pretty stout right there. Like, that right. is – IDP special and of course everybody's doubled up so you got two of every player you got duplicates of every player I'm I'm fascinated to see how that's going to go man <laughs> like, it's I gonna,
2: we're going to be like workaholics right Ugh. let's get weird <laughs> well, it's uh, going to get real
0: sure. weird fast. and look I, I think that's a really good scoring as a base because you're right i don't think you want it to be a first round talent either necessarily but you want it to be somewhere again above what the afterthought of last picks in the draft too, and somewhere in between. Uh, let's go through, you know, also when do you want to pivot and start taking IDP players in the league? Are you somebody that wants to go top of the board for a Darius Leonard type guy, or are you somebody that would rather, you know, maybe go after tackles in, in bulk? Like what's your approach theoretically too? are you looking for that one big standout? You want to be first to the, the people to to go and get an IDP player, or are you somebody that wants to kind of drop back a little bit and then maybe take more guys in bulk and play from that standpoint?
2: I think because my experience, I've been playing in IDP league since 1999. So uh, I'm I'm fairly deep so I can wait on some IDPs. I would say that in the scoring system I just laid out to you, Darius Leonard's probably going to go around five or six, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then we drop down after that. Most years, defensive line is going to be uh, the spot where you want to get it early because there's not many defensive linemen that score a ton of points. This year in particular, in 2020, I feel like there is a bigger stack of guys that could score within that 10-point range. So I'm waiting on defensive linemen more this year than I ever have in the past, but that's the spot that you want to get defensive back. There's always someone that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, there's corner – you want – this is the one downside of IDP is you want crappy corners because they let the guy catch the ball in <laughs> front of them right. and then tackle him 70 yards downfield. <laughs> And they keep getting attacked, too. So they have more opportunities for interceptions and more tackles. Uh, But safeties get a bunch of tackles. Uh, Middle linebackers are always going to be your highest scorers because they rack up those tackles on a consistent basis and get the occasional splash play. And that's what Darius Leonard does in particular, is not only does he rack up a high amount of tackles, he gets to the quarterback. He uh, picks the ball off on occasion. He's involved in pass deflections. He's just he's a hawk. He is absolutely a ball hawk. And he's around all over the place. And he averages about two to three more points than anybody else on a per game basis. So that's why we want Darius Leonard at the very top of our board. In most yeah,
0: cars. I mean, I can't argue with that, man. I agree with you 100%. And again, if you're looking for Bogman's IDP rankings and profiles. Yes, that's right. Profiles, not just rankings. They are in the fantasy black book 2020 over on Amazon. So if you play IDP, nobody's gonna go deeper into <laughs> player <your> profiles <laughs> on IDP than our book. I'm telling you right now, believe me. All right. Uh, and when you're looking at the board this year, what are some value picks that you think are either guys who have moved into new positions or guys who have, you know, either with a new team, new system, whatever it might be, that you think have some uh, some possibilities this year to be fantasy contributors that maybe last year you had lower on the board, maybe this year have moved up a little bit in those kind of rankings.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the rookies uh, from uh, the last couple years are moving, moving up boards. I mean, Buda Baker has become just kind of the, uh, you know, consensus number one uh, defensive back as far as IDPs go. Um, you know, Jamal Adams is uh, one or two between him and Buda Baker. I have Buda at one. I know Gary has uh, Jamal at one. But also, we don't know where Jamal's going to end at, at yeah. this point. Uh, Shaq Thompson, I, I moved up significantly in my board. Between him or Tahir Whitehead, somebody has to take over for Luke keekley in uh, in Carolina. So that is going to be a, a big boost up. A guy like Sam Hubbard, uh, the defensive end for the Bengals, broke out last year. I have him as my number four defensive lineman. Uh, Aaron Donald still very high, even though he's defensive tackle. And normally in a league that there are leagues that just do defensive end. There are leagues that do defensive tackle with defensive end. That's a guy uh, that, you know, tackle doesn't usually get high on the board, but he's my number six defensive lineman. Uh, TJ Watt had a great year last year. He comes up Justin Simmons for the Broncos comes up because they're going to pass more and um, you know, he should have some good opportunities for some tackles as well. And you know, uh, Deion Jones coming back fully healthy. Tremaine Edmonds taking another year. Devin Bush taking another year. A lot of those young guys and chase young. I have just outside of my top 50, but I may have to move him up a little bit. I mean, just watching his highlights, uh, you know, that 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 can get it done for me. So well, I'm, I'm surprised
0: uh, he's even quite out of the 50 because uh, this is a pretty decent class in terms of some defensive players there. It's just a matter of the fantasy impact. And besides Chase Young, let's say people who are in Dynasty IDPs, who are some of the guys that you've got your eye on this year that could maybe kind of surprise you in terms of what you might get out of them in their rookie seasons?
2: Well, for uh, first of all, for Chase Young in a dynasty league, I would move him way up this board. Okay. You know, way, way up this board. But you know, we saw Nick Bosa come in last year as a highly touted rookie, and he only averaged six point seven points per game. You know, uh, it, that's in the scoring system I laid out to well, you. Well, when nine you're triple sacks.
0: teamed, that's what happens. Again, that's that's why situation matters even more than talent sometimes. Like, so you were talking about the defensive backs. Same thing sometimes with the guys on the line. Like if he's the guy on the line and all the attention is going to him. And DeForest worker.
2: Buckner, too. So well, when they he's were, not there they, anymore
0: going into this year.
2: I understand. But when they were double tripling up Nick Bosa, Buckner was putting up the numbers. Yeah, exactly. uh, But they, they drafted Javon Kinlaw, who's going to be a very good replacement as well. So, you know, I think that those two guys in particular are guys that come up. But Taylor Rapp is very young and had a great half of the season for the Rams last year. Max Crosby for the Raiders uh, was better than Cleland Farrell, the first-round rookie. Uh, so he had a great year. We're still waiting on to see where uh, Jadavian Clowney lands, but that could be a big one. Yannick Ngakwe probably going to get moved. He's a guy that comes up. Rashawn Evans, a guy that comes up in a Dynasty as well. So there's there's a lot of guys that move and shake uh, in a Dynasty league versus a standard league.
0: All right. And uh, when you're talking about defensive players, again, you're the guy to talk about. We just were talking earlier last week about some of the odds on FanDuel for Defensive Player of the Year. And I kept saying, I, you know, going back to the hashtag sacks are sexy, is that I think that T.J. Watt actually has a really good shot at this. You know, Gilmore won last year. There's not a lot of times you see guys win back-to-back years. Uh, also, not a ton of defensive backs. It usually goes to somebody who can rack up points. I think that Steelers defense is going to be really good. I know you love hearing me say that. So before we close out. Who is your pick for Defensive Player of the Year? Because I, I know it would be great to see JJ Watt come back and be great, but so many injuries. I'm going to go with the other Watt this year.
2: Well, TJ Watt is a great pick and probably has the best odds at winning it or high. I think close it was to 11 the
0: to 1. I'd have to go back and check it with uh, Brett.
2: I, I'd T. look Gina. at Chandler Jones uh, with, okay. with, the, with the Cardinals. The Cardinals' offense, adding DeAndre Hopkins, Tyler Murray's second year, they should be high octane and scoring a lot. So it's going to be a lot of other teams coming to. Uh, try to match them in scoring so he should get more sack opportunities
0: all right he is scott bogman go follow him on the twitter machine at bogman sports listen to him right here on sports grid radio on in this league and the itl armies on patreon and of course he's the co-host of the black book show with me the podcast i appreciate you spending some quality time with me here and go out there everybody and get your idp on all right we're gonna hit a break when we come back more fantasy sports today right here on sports grid
3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: Welcome back. Thanks again to Scott Bogman for coming on the show, talking a little fantasy. Uh, The reality of football is also an interesting conversation because of some things that are happening in sports and in general. And I got to say that it has been a really tough time uh, for the Dolphin Miami Dolphins family over the past month because, uh, you know, unfortunately, Don Shula, the arguably the greatest NFL coach of all time, passed away. And then over the weekend, Joe, uh, Jim Kick, one of their great running backs that participated on that team in the 1972 team, also passed away last year. Uh, Bob Kuchenberg, who many people feel should be in the Hall of Fame, did as well as uh, linebacker Nick Bonacani, yeah. who's in the Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, certainly it's been like, you know, very unfortunate. And, and again, remember, this is the 72 Dolphins Championship. We're talking about, you know, almost 40, 50 years ago. Okay. So naturally, at this time, you're going to have that. But it feels like it's all happened at once. And we did spend some time last month talking about uh, Don Shula and mm-hmm. what he meant to the Dolphins and what he meant to the NFL. But I thought it would be interesting to go back and take a look at just that seventy two team sort of in honor of of unfortunately, these uh, these you know passing away of these different players and coaches. And so um, thought we would do that today on the show. I got to know Jim Kick because I hosted a TV show for about ten years on Fox Sports, Florida. And at the time, uh, we had hosting the show two former Miami Dolphins, not of on the 1972 team, but just two former Miami Dolphins, one of which was Kim Bocamper, who started his own production company and essentially put me in charge. So he and I developed a really good friendship and still are really good friends to this day. Uh, Joe Rose, who was the tight end for the Miami Dolphins for many years and actually caught Dan Marino's first touchdown pass, was also a host on that show. And so naturally, during the time that that show was going on, for about 10 years, Joe, what we did is, is there was always that conversation because it, we, you know, we did it year round of you know, who's going to be undefeated, and at the time, you know, some team would go 8-0 or 9-0. We'd bring in a 1972 <laughs> Dolphin. Larry Little was one, but Jim Kick made a lot of appearances mm-hmm. on that show as well. And in fact, he uh, would come to our holiday party a lot uh, at the end of the year. So felt like kind of doing that on the show today and just, you know, sort of running through what the 1972 Dolphins did. Well, look,
0: the 72 Dolphins, obviously one of the all-time great NFL seasons, there's no doubt about that. You might even say the greatest different era of the NFL, less teams to go through, less playoffs to go through. But look, you can only be great in your era. That's all you can do. All you can control is the way you play, how you play. That's it. You don't get to say, oh, well, you know, compare them to this and that. and Because if you do that, you'll go nuts. So. Undefeated season, 17-0, incredible, still stands today. The Patriots, obviously, as people know, a few years ago, uh, had that opportunity. Actually, more than a few now, 12 years ago. (laughs) It's amazing how time flies when you think about it, Uh, but did not, obviously. They didn't seal the deal. They did not seal the deal, and uh, very frustrating as a Patriot fan. I think it wore on them quite a bit uh it was more just don't lose instead of go out there and win and you could see it as they got into the playoffs in the end there too and that last game against the giants was a really tricky thing because i remember saying oh man that team's getting real hot i really don't want to see that team again they give us quite a fight and sure enough that's who they saw uh in the super bowl but you know these dolphins too you mentioned nick bonacotti and for me that was a figure that early on in my football education as a kid Len Dawson, Nick Bonacati inside the NFL, right? Yeah,
1: it's a great show. Seems like a small
0: thing, right? It's still going on to this day, but it seems like a tiny thing. However, you know, we kind of take for granted where we're at with coverage in the NFL right now. And you know, you did have SportsCenter and things like that when I was a kid, but to have a standalone one-hour NFL show where they would go and break down what was going on with the teams and stuff. That was fascinating to me. It was something you didn't get to see everywhere. And he was such a knowledgeable, charismatic figure. Uh, Obviously, uh, a great dad, too, as we were talking about some Father's Day things and stuff like that over the weekend. Um, And a guy that in my football life, I remember quite fondly and a guy that I think had a big influence in the sense of, look, hey, here's this. You know, here's this guy who is breaking down games for you. And this is like, no, he was a former player. I am not. But this is like, this is an incredible thing to watch. I'm really interested in this. This is something I want to know more about. I want to watch this every week. And I used to, every single week, watch that show whenever it was on. I remember it like clockwork. And, um, you know, that was kind of like part of my football education. So Nick Bonacani is one of those figures for me. It was always out there. And just, you know, when you think about Don Shula, too, a guy who was able to – work with quarterbacks like Johnny Unitas and all the way through to Dan Marino and coach in so many different decades and so many different eras of the NFL and have success. It's staggering. It's sad in a way that those Marino era teams fell short of the success of some of those seventies teams. But I think when you look back on that career of Don Shula and how important he was to the NFL and the longevity, and I think it's great that you can have coaches like that. And I wish we'd have more of that. I think it's
1: it's impossible. In this it's, impossible it's, it's
0: impossible. But then again, you see Marvin Lewis hold a job for years and years after losing. With well, the well there's going to
1: be exceptions <laughs> to the rule in all of sports. I mean, that's yeah, always it. Is. But the rule is now essentially you get hired and your first yeah, year, year you get window. a you get right. yeah, That's it. You get a mulligan your first year. The second year is like, ah, but you better show something in the third year. or yeah, You're done. It's tough. A- it's a- tough, and, and I don't know and, how long again, it takes
0: to build a program you want to build in the NFL, depending on what kind of coach you are. It's very
1: we difficult. Used to, we used to go back in the NFL and say, didn't he only coach that team for one year and get fired? Now it's more common than it is not. Like it's like you. Mm-hmm. Some guys only get a year. I mean, Wilkes yeah. got a year right in Arizona. Yeah. So um, all right. So uh, and, and the, the Browns coach, too. All right, so uh, 1972, let's take a look back here at at the Dolphins. Uh, you know, of course, Don Shula was the coach of that team. They did win two championships, by the way, back-to-back. Uh, 17-0, any way you look at it, it stands alone. Yeah, they only played a 14-game regular season, but they won all three games in the playoffs, too. No team has done that. The Patriots matched it, didn't uh, win in the Super Bowl. Uh, three shutouts in the regular yeah. season. That is a big number right there. I mean, even the Ravens, you look back at their great defenses with a couple of shutouts, they had three in the regular season alone, they rushed for 2,960 yards as a team and 26 touchdowns, and they were also number one in total defense. And, Joe, as you alluded to, there's no question. It was a different era. There wasn't a lot of throwing. There was almost none of it, by the way, Mm -hmm. for this team, too, because they were so dominant offensively. But I think that the other thing that you have to ask yourself is this. Who's to say, in 20 years from now, the NFL – isn't all about rushing again. Like, you never know. It's You don't. Things change. And so while right now it appears, wow, how could the 72 Dolphins even come close to the Saints now? Like, I I mean, I understand that. And and it's a reasonable conversation. And the athletes are probably better now than they were in the 70s as well. But all we can do is go back and look and say they were the most dominant team on the field for a two-year period, winning Super Bowls in both years, with essentially a lot of very good defensive players, Maybe only a couple of great players, but what the NFL has done essentially is started to reward these guys by putting them into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Bonacani, of course, is an example of that. But mm-hmm. uh, Dick Anderson, Manny Fernandez, Jake Scott—you um, know—they they had a lot. Of, they had a lot of really good defensive players, but there really wasn't anyone that standed above the rest. And I think that's kind of why they got overlooked a lot.
0: Well, yeah, Mercury Morris, Larry Zonka, two very capable running backs, obviously in a great defense. And I think it's I think it's harder to just play defense and run the football nowadays because the athletes on the defensive side of the football. Are so much better chasing down the running backs. I mean, you you've got linebackers now who are as fast as some of the running backs back in the day. So you know, it's a, it's. I think that's the reason you don't see that formula working as much, or even implemented as much. Plus, the rules have changed so much too. What you can do, and you know, with personnel, I can tell you right now. Looking at some teams on the NFL, especially the Patriots this coming season, they are focused on playing, trying to play defense and run the football with multiple backs and different kind of looks and things like that. That's going to be how they're going to try to win football games. So you're right. It is cyclical and it will come back around. But I think the old adage of, you know, we saw the Ravens do it. You know, can you run the football back in the day with that incredible defense they had with Ray Lewis and Siragusa and and Ed Reed and all those guys? It is possible to do that. You don't see it as much because the athleticism on the defensive side of the football just makes it so much harder. It's just much more of a grind to get those guys out there in space because it's just it's crazy. But what you are seeing is a smaller, faster running back now. So the 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 changes now you go from the hyper athletic linebacker to kind of counteract those great athletic backs. And now you're seeing backs who are not as big as they used to be. They're more in that Alvin Kamara size. They're smaller and they're faster. And that's how they're trying to get around that. So it's this incredible game, the NFL, of constantly evolution and constantly changing and seeing whose game is going to be above everyone else's game plan in 2020 and the next year and the next year. But, you know, it's, a, you know, we keep talking about this team and the 72 Dolphins for a reason, because perfection takes an incredible amount of teamwork and everybody buying in, buying into the system, buying into the coach, buying into each other. And I think it speaks so much about what kind of teammates these guys were to accomplish this goal. Because I think that is what speaks most about the '72 Dolphins, even more than the record. You know, <laughs> to keep that streak alive is incredible.
1: All right, and uh, and again, they capped it all off with winning the Super Bowl. And here is a look at Super Bowl Seven. What happened in that game? And uh, the Dolphins won fourteen to seven. Like you'll never see that again, probably in the NFL. Um, Dolph has rushed 37 times for 184 yards in that game. Zonka, 15 for 112. Jim Kick, who we're doing this sort of in honor of, uh, passed mm-hmm. over the weekend. 12 carries, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Of course, Mercury Morris, who after this point in 72, you know, started to become more of the primary back on this team and, and started to have great years with them. But this was, you know, kind of very beginning of his career. Uh, 10 carries, 34 yards. Redskins turned the ball over three times. And then Jake Scott, who was the MVP of the game, Uh, had two interceptions in this Mm -hmm. one. And so I I think that that, you know, kind of capped off everything. It's been a lot written about this team through the years, and people don't realize some of the great stories that came out of this. Uh, Don Shula, who was, of course, the head coach that we talked about before, uh, you know, kind of saw what was happening in terms of uh, racial in the NFL and essentially decided uh, on the road when they traveled to you know, team up an African-American and potentially white player uh, in their rooms to make sure Mm. that everybody understood the way that uh, the race divide was going on. He didn't want to see that on his teams. And the other thing that he was uh, famous for, Don Shula, is he was the first coach that in the locker room, as opposed to just doing it by number or by player, uh, had it had their lockers set up by by units. So offense, defense and special teams. So they got the camaraderie going there. He was the first one Mm. uh, that was responsible for that and also maybe the most uh, famous story from 1972, and there were a lot, and I'd have to go through a many, a many of them, uh, was when Larry Zonka, and I believe Jim Kick was involved in this too, uh, got a, a gator from the Everglades and put it into Don Chula's uh, shower. <laughs> And Don Shula lost it. Like literally was like so upset. Now look back on it now and thought it was funny, you know, twenty, thirty years later. But that was I mean, one of the I mean a gag that I'd be upset too if I again. was Don
0: Shula. <laughs> imagine
1: opening up the opening up his shower and seeing a full gator there, you know. Like I mean you can but that's what I
0: mean. You you laugh together, you play together, you fight together. That's that's what teams are supposed to be. And I didn't know that story about how he was uh you know, making everybody room up together. That's a fascinating little bit of information did there. That
1: and it's like, and like, you come to think of it now, like I've been in NFL locker rooms forever, but like you think of it and that's the way they're set up. It's like, you have the offensive players usually on right. one side, you have the defensive on the other. And then, you know, and then there's some rookies, they, they'll pair a rookie with a veteran somewhere to, you know, kind of see how it works. But mm-hmm. the quarterbacks are all in one spot. The receivers are all in one spot. This was something that Don Shula used to just be by number or by alphabetical by name. Like you didn't even think about it, but um, not anymore That's uh, Shula was responsible for a lot of that and uh, rest in peace Jim Kick man. Um, a fun guy to hang around some great stories that he used to tell and uh, Dave Hyde of the South Florida Sun Sentinel wrote a nice column uh, bidding farewell to him so we'll uh, dedicate the show for him today here on, on uh, Fantasy Sports Today and we'll be back with more right here on Sports Grid so don't go away
2: Get on the
1: grid. Hey, welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you following the latest news and notes from sports. Hopefully you guys had a really good weekend and had a really good father's day. Uh, interesting story, Joe Dallas Goddard of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, says he was sucker punched at some sort of bar, which lends us to all kinds of different questions such as why are you at a bar? It's a good question. Um, And uh And yeah, I mean, I I suppose when you're an athlete, you're sort of a target here for it, but just kind of a bizarre story from the weekend, I thought.
0: Yeah, very strange. By the way, if you're keeping tabs at home, this counts as a target and a reception because the punch did. You're not allowed to double
1: down on your tweets. I'm sorry,
0: it's it's a good line. Hey, look, I've got like two good lines a year. It's Father's Day weekend. I got one dad joke in me. Let me have my dad joke. I don't have much. Give me my dad joke, please. We'll give it to you. Thank you. Oh boy. But uh, yeah, this this is a very strange story. I, I. the fantasy analyst in me always the first thing to jump to is I bet this is some guy that you know, might have been yelling something to him or whatever it is because of his stupid fantasy team. and next thing you know, like he throws a punch at the guy. <laughs> like i I, okay. I can't imagine like what the scenario could be that you would want to just sucker punch an athlete. Now, the other thing is too, Dallas Goddard's not a little guy. You know, like this is a pretty, you know, strong guy, plays in the NFL. So whoever hit him must, I would imagine, it's not, you know, some little five foot four guy running around. You know, the, you know,
1: beer goggles, you start taking on. Yeah.
0: I guess. But Dallas Goddard, like, I don't know, man. This seems like a a very strange story. I know kind of more information trickling in. He is okay, by the way. He didn't go to the hospital for evaluation. So right off the bat, like, if it was bad enough, he had to go to the hospital. He must have hit him pretty hard or. Something happened there, but uh, whatever the scenario is, there are a lot more questions and answers here in this one. And I think the biggest one is, what is he doing out at the bar? I guess different states are having different rules and things like that. I just hope he was wearing a mask. And if so, if he was wearing a mask, how was he recognized? That's my other question too. I, I, there's a lot of questions here, Craig, a lot of questions.
1: That's for sure. (laughs) So, you know, something interesting that also uh, happened over the weekend, and I think it's worth mentioning just conceptually speaking, Mm -hmm. uh, Joakim Noah, who's had a very successful career in the NBA, uh, playing for the Chicago Bulls for a long period of time and a couple of all-star appearances then went on to the Knicks, played with Memphis, I believe, um, signed a second uh, or extended 10-day contract with the Los Angeles Clippers. And it kind of lends the conversation that we were having, which making the assumption which, by the way, is not a completely fair assumption that a month from now we'll be talking about and getting ready for the NBA season, which I believe they're going to try, but we all know if you've watched this show or any of the other shows or you're realistic that, look, it, it's it's all very much day-to-day with everything in sports. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because certainly Noah has had a great career, and when you're talking about playing in the NBA for more than a decade— then you have to acknowledge that, and, and certainly he has. And at this point, it's very clear that with him latching on to the Clippers is that he is chasing that NBA championship. And, Joe, I wanted to kind of pose that question to you because there are some players in sports that have had very similar careers to Noah, which I would think it's you know, probably debatable as to whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think that he probably is not. But the idea that at the end of your career, when you're feeling it's toward the end, and Noah's going to be 35, 36 years old, is it a fair thing to just have you basically latch on and just try to get a ring? Because some have thought better of it. There's been you know players over the course of their career, they've stayed with the same team and they just basically retire. They don't get the ring. And then there are others that say, hey, you know what? I got no shame. I just you know want to play on a winning team and seems what it and see what it feels like. And I think Noah's a pretty good example of that. He is sort of the poster child for a good NBA player, not a star in the NBA, although he did get to a couple of all-stars that is playing out his term and is going to try and, and bring home a championship before he uh, wraps it up, which very well could be at the end of this year.
0: Uh, I think it's a great thing because I think what it tells you about the athlete is that winning is most important to them. You know They've made their money. They've had their personal accolades. You just listed a whole bunch for Noah, but what does it mean the most to him is being able to stand there and hold that trophy to say, I was a champion to have that ringed and, you know, to have that moment and to have that celebration. That's a very important thing. This is a guy that won in college too. He had, you know, he came from winning environments. So yeah, like I, I, I don't, You know, I understand, like, some players, you know, they kind of hang on later than they should, and it kind of tarnishes their legacy a little bit. But if they're tarnishing their legacy just to win a championship with another team as opposed to hanging on to get that 3,000th hit or hanging on to get that milestone of of that personal statistic, I always think a lot less of that and a lot more of the person who's hanging on to try to win a championship, especially if he thinks he can help a team. And I don't know, Craig. For me, I'm looking at that, and I think that tells you a lot about the character of that player that – you know, that team goal is more important to them than, you know, the, well, I made a lot of money. I did a lot of things. OK, I'll just hang it up there. There's I, I that know, piece but, but is, is it a
1: team goal for Noah or is it just an individual goal for Noah just well, to win a, champ? because, win a championship? Because obviously he has nothing individually, left to prove. But he know? has nothing left to prove over the course of his career. He's played right. a decade in the NBA. He uh, has made all-star teams. He's gotten to Eastern Conference Finals. I get and, what you're saying. It's, it's, and it's and never won. This is just all about him. It's got to be. I mean, well, it's got to be. Well I mean look it, Vince Carter, Vince Carter, right. On the other hand, Vince Carter could have picked this year a team that had potential to win the NBA championship. No one went into the NBA season thinking that the the Hawks would win a championship, let alone even get the playoffs. But he just played another year to play. Right. This, this player in particular, you could he he could say something different, but is playing because he's going to a team that he may be the 13th guy on the team. But he knows that the Clippers, are, at the very least, are going to be playing in the playoffs at the very most, playing for a championship. So, I mean, it's it's two different things. Gary Payton and Karl Malone had already accomplished everything that they possibly could have with uh, the Utah Jazz and the Seattle Sonics, respectively. Gary Payton goes on to win a championship with the Heat. Uh, Karl Malone still chasing it down. What do they do? They try and tap into the Lakers' juice, and they go there to win. And they don't win a championship in LA and just trying to win another champion. So, listen, it, it doesn't always work. And by the way, the um, the category of those two players is obviously ahead of a player like Noah because both of us got the bona fide Hall of Famers. But everybody has their own individual decisions to make. And for me, it's it's just kind of funny the way that some of these play out because some players we look at and we say, oh, it's great. This player hung on, they got themselves a ring, they got themselves a championship. There are other players that are like, oh, he hung on too long and he just kept trying to win and he never got it done. And those players fall short, and yet we consider them like lesser players than the guys that actually won it. When yet a lot of these players really didn't contribute all that much to win the ring, also. Well, I don't
0: consider them, you know, I don't look at it as lesser players or greater players at this stage when you're talking about players at the end of their careers. Whether or not they win a championship with another team and they latch on, you know, some, sometimes the contributions are not on the court. Sometimes the contributions are in the locker room. The contributions are in leadership. The contributions are in knowledge of other players. When you're sitting there in a timeout going over something or when you're at a practice or, you know, I think there's a lot of intangibles that certain veterans and certain people and personalities can bring to a team, which is why you've seen players towards the end of their career, I mean, you know, I always think of Dom Baylor, right, who was a guy who just kept going from team to team and, you know, was always in a World Series like for a couple of years there, kind of hanging on the end of his career because of the kind of leadership he brought, so I think there are certain players that, you know, they feel like they have something to contribute, maybe it's not always on the field, maybe it's more than just the field, but like I said, I, I get what you're saying that there's a certain kind of selfishness of, yeah, I want to win and I want to be part of that. But again, it's a team goal and wanting to be part of a winning team, I think is a good reason to hang on. And if you think you have a little bit left in the tank, or you think this is your last moment, I don't think you want to be having your last moment playing for a team. That's just kind of finishing out a COVID season. I think you want to try to have
1: that last. Well, that's moment. what Vince Carter what, is doing.
0: Right. Well, and, and you know what, Vince Carter's doing it, but Vince Carter was in a different contract situation than Noah was. So if, if they released him tomorrow, and Vince Carter signed with another team, you wouldn't give him any slack for that, right?
1: Look, look, there are a lot of examples of it. Uh, cheating scandal aside, I mean, what business did Carlos Beltran have signing with Houston in 2017? Only one reason, right? Right, Because he went to a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a contributor. I mean, he put together uh, that in, in that season of 2017, it wasn't close, his worst year ever as a major league baseball player, and it wasn't particularly close. He was a contributor, he had 14 home runs. He drove. Oh, he in was 50. a contributor. <laughs> right. Right. But cheating scandal aside, people look at Carlos Beltran now and what do they say? Oh, he just you know hung on to the end just so he could get that ring with Houston yeah. in twenty seventeen. And look, I understand there's a lot of negativity posted because of uh, the cheating scandal, no question. And that can't be overlooked in this conversation. But after playing for nineteen years in Major League Baseball, there was only one reason why that guy went to Houston.
0: Right. And and it's funny. You mentioned Carlos crazy. Beltran, who was seemed and groomed to be a manager and did get hired as a manager before all the scandal kind of came to light. Don Baylor was the example I used. He became a manager for many years in the in the Major League Baseball. And I think that sometimes there's something about those certain veteran presences that you think you can bring in to a team or a younger team or or any team necessarily that you think can have a positive impact. Guys who have been there, done it before – and, you know, maybe not all the way to the top of that, winning that ring, but at the same time, guys who have playoff experience, guys who understand what the big stages is and can help some of the younger players. There's a lot of intangible things, and you know this too, in organizations and sports that you're looking for and why you acquire certain players to kind of bring them in and, and be part of that unit. And sometimes it's for the contributions on the field or on the court. Sometimes it's behind the scenes that people don't realize as much and how important that can be. So for whatever reason, I think that if you have something to give back to the game and the game has something left for you to achieve, then it's a good marriage of ideas, personally. And I I like to see when the older player who never got that, uh, you know, ring, get that ring. And I mean, don't you? Don't you kind of have a weird, warm and fuzzy feeling? Yeah, it's a feel-good story. look, I mean,
1: Alonzo Mourning had a lot of great years in Miami, but essentially uh, left to go to New Jersey and had to come back and join up with a -hmm. team that wasn't his anymore, with Shaq and Wade, and and then he ended up... You know, capturing the championship ring. And I think it's good for the home fans. It's just I don't understand why we see it differently when the guys don't end up winning. Because I feel like we've had that conversation and everyone has had that conversation in sports when that veteran latches on I guess, to try and win the championship and they don't, and then we go back and look and say, oh, he finished his career, and all he was trying to do was win a championship. But yet when the guy does win, we look at it and say, isn't that great that that guy did win the championship? It's like, like Chase Utley, right? It's hard like to Chase give up. Chase Utley, all those years in LA, like, what did he win? Oh, Chase, all he was trying to do is just latch on to him. But he a won. Team, but-, but he won with the Phillies. He did, but then with LA, like, what was the point? <laughs> all those years, he just kept uh, Hey, back
0: man, it's it's years. tough to tell anybody you're going to stop doing a thing you love to do that's making you a lot of money. I,
1: I agree with you. I think the same. <laughs> situ- it should be considered the same situation, but the guys that stick around too long to try and win that don't win are looked at, I think, as more inferior to the guys that latched on and stayed that did win. And they basically accomplished the same thing. They were not huge factors on their championship teams. They just kept going to try and win. And unfortunately, by luck, because sports is luck, one team wins, one team doesn't. You retire after you're know, continuing to try and win and you didn't, and you're inferior to the other guy. Why? Why? Nope. The other guy probably didn't contribute also. It's the same thing. So I don't get it. All right, uh, it was Father's Day yesterday. We got some fun uh, discussion on that, what we did yesterday. And certainly we wish you guys a good Father's Day as well. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: Sunday was Father's Day, and certainly we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, Joe, but uh, always a special day, I think. The most rewarding thing that we all have is our ability to uh, be dads and be fathers. And certainly I think that that uh, goes without saying here on this show.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I know I take it very seriously. I know you do as well. And it's probably the uh, thing I've been, you know, uh, I don't know, I, I look back and I say it's probably the most important thing that I've ever done with my life. And uh, I'm very proud of my daughters and I'm very um, interested in, you know, their lives. And I'm somebody who's, you know, been their caretaker, their guy from day one, basically when both of them were born. And that is an incredible thing to be a part of, to be that day-to-day person. A lot of dads don't get to do that, don't get to stay at sure. home and work part-time and and do that and kind of be around for that. And I can tell you, it changes your, and your relationship changes so much too. It's one of the most amazing experiences you'll ever have. And I encourage all the dads out there to take more time if you can And do those kind of things and be there the day to day if you're not and and find a way to structure your life around it, because at some point in time, they're probably going to be teenagers and they're probably not going to want to talk to you as much. So in that window where they're not, (laughs) take advantage of it when you can. And uh, being a dad has been the greatest ride of my life for sure.
1: And and where does it rank? Like as far as like picking Derrick Henry to win the rushing title? Like is it is it is <laughs> it is close? close? Is, not, it, is it a close it's second? Nowhere or
0: close. Third? It's it's a hmm. distant distant five hundred million. I got night, it right but... up there
1: with the purple book, honestly. No, well right. for you, yeah.
0: Well, look, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those things, man. It's like it's just every day is a new and interesting wrinkle in life, and and it was so cool. Is like you know, the things that you share, not just those moments and things like that, but, you know, you see them kind of growing into small people, (laughs) you know, they're not kids anymore. They're people and it's, and it's different. And, and it's fun. Like, you know, last couple of years, being able to share a lot of other things with movies, we did the whole Marvel universe together last summer We're you know, vacations and things of that nature. And, you know, and now trying to get them into sports a little bit, they're big wrestling fans, but trying to get them to understand football. I tried to explain, you know, how football works to them. Uh, I had like, the toothpicks laid out there as the hash marks and trying to understand what a first down is and how this works. And I don't think it's stuck. I really don't. I think I'd have to go down and find a, another way to do it in 2020 if we have football and try to figure that out. But it's, you're, you're part of that education at the same time they're constantly educating you. And I think that's the thing about fatherhood that, you know, if you don't get that part, then you're missing it out.
1: All right. So we've had some fun over the last few weeks, uh, closing out our shows with a few trivia questions. And today is no different. It was father's day. Uh, on Sunday, and so we thought that we would end our show today with a couple of uh, father-son trivia questions, Joe.
0: All right, so let's start. We were just talking about this father-son earlier in the week. Uh, So let's talk about Barry and Bobby Bonds. They set a record that will likely never be broken. Between the two of them, they have over a 1,000 home runs as a Mm father-son duo. How many home runs did Bobby Bonds contribute to that total? Was it 412, 332, 297, or 504?
1: Okay, so the first was in the 400s, you said? First
0: was in the 400s, then 333, uh, 332, 297. Oh, we know I'll it's not th- 5 I'll
1: go 332.
0: 332. All right, we're going to tabulate that answer. We're gonna come back and check you see how you're right. The Boone family has seen three generations of major yeah. leaguers. Ray, uh, obviously, uh, Bob, and Aaron. All four of these players have been proven winners, each playing for a different World Series team, right? Which team saw the two younger Boons on the field at the same time? Was it the Cincinnati Reds? Yes. The New York Yankees, the Braves, or the Mariners? It was the Reds. That is correct, it was the Reds, there you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tito Francona and his son Terry logged 25 years between them of Major League service. All-star for the Cleveland Indians in 1961 was Tito, but which National League team did Terry manage from 97 to 2000?
1: Um Terry Francona managed the Expos? No, the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, the Phillies, yes. A so, lot of people forget the Phillies before he had that another He played practice. on the Expos, I think. Maybe that's where I got confused he, he, there. He
0: did play on the Expos. That is correct. And Boy, the, I don't even
1: remember him managing the Phillies. That's good. That's uh
0: good. no, and the and the uh just so you know to the um the Bobby Bonds total was three thirty-two. Sorry, it was taking a little while to generate that the answer, answer, answer there for I you. Got that right. So right. You did get that right. So so far you're doing you're doing pretty good. That, that last one. That last one was tough, but you know it's it funny. was a tough one. I'm
1: I'm glad you brought it up though because we, now we um, think about
0: Tito Francona and you think about you know the incredible job he did obviously with the Red Sox and getting them right. over that hump. And we think about you know I I still I still think he's going to do great things with with Cleveland, but. That that does kind of make you wonder. He's like, people kind of forgot those years with the Phillies, they were kind of lost there. It was post Larry Boa <laughs> with those years there. Uh, which person became the first to manage two sons on the same baseball team? I think this is pretty easy, right? It would be Cal Ripken Sr. That is correct, Cal Ripken Sr. Well done, sir. Which father, uh, which son, excuse me, hit his 500th career home run on Father's Day in 2004? Was it Ken Griffey Jr. Was it Rafael Palmero? Was it Barry Bonds?
1: Wow. I had to be guessing. Um I guess Bonds. No, okay. Uh we yeah, w- I don't You know, know
0: it's I'm trying to cycle through and it it's only correcting me at the very end there. So we'll
1: have to give, we'll have to reveal some of the answers again. Boy, like, this is great trivia. We don't know the well, answers. Well,
0: but... no, the problem is, you know, you submit the answers and it goes back and forth and all this stuff. So, so I, we don't know I,
1: if I was right or wrong?
0: Well, I will, you will know in a second cause I have to tabulate some <laughs> of them. I'm sorry, Craig. Everything's not perfect on live television. Uh, here we go. Uh, last one here for you. Uh, although this event took place, In a minor league game, which father-son duo became the first to play baseball against each other in a professional baseball game? Was it Ed Sprague and Ed Sprague Jr.? I didn't even realize Ed Sprague Jr. and Sr. Gary and Gary Matthews Jr., Tim and Tim Raines Jr., or Sandy and Sandy Alomar Jr.? Although this event never took place, uh, it took place in a minor league game. Excuse me. Which father-son duo became the first to play baseball against each other in a professional baseball game?
1: I only—I would guess Ed Sprague because that's the only one that I don't know. I mean, i i, I, I do not think. I mean, Tim Raines, um, in the minors, I don't think so. Didn't 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 um. Wasn't well, Tim, Tim Raines with the in the Expos, and then Tim Raines was with the Orioles. Tim was. Raines Jr. He yeah. was. I guess. I guess the question is.
0: Do you wanna take a stab? I'll
1: guess Ed Sprague. I have no idea on this one. Okay. It wasn't Gary Matthews and Gary Matthews The answer
0: is Tim and Tim Raines Jr., actually. So So I guess
1: Tim was coming back up to play. There you go.
0: August 21st, 2001, the Ottawa Lynx and the Rochester Red Wings. So there you have it. So uh, that's a fun thing to play against your uh, kid here. One more, you got one more for you because now all these things are populated properly. Which of the following pairs, actually, yeah. Which of the following pairs has the most combined wins of a father-son pitching combination? Joe and Joe Jr. Coleman, or Mel and Todd Stottlemyre? Who has more wins? Oh, Joe man. and Yeah, Joe. Mel and Todd.
1: Yeah, I'll go Mel and Todd.
0: Mel and Todd is correct. That is very yeah. good. Cal Ripken Sr. was correct.
1: By the and way, Mel Stottlemyre Jr. also pitched in the big leagues.
0: That's right, that's right, he did. Uh, and the which son hit his 500th career home run? Your answer was what again? Bonds. That is incorrect. It was Ken Griffey Jr. actually okay, with his dad okay. in the stands, 500th yeah
1: Yeah, That's a good it, For one. some reason that doesn't come to...
0: There's been a lot of father-sons in baseball. I feel like father-son baseball combinations have been a lot more. Than I'm surprised
1: Buddy Bell didn't come up in this here. Gus Bell, Buddy Bell.
0: Well, you know, there was one Bell question. You know, you know, they always have the Bells. Everything's always a Bell question. But why is it that we see more father's sons and i mean look at the blue jays right now i mean just let alone there's three guys on one team who's all their dads played in the big leagues what is it about the baseball father son thing than it is necessarily with the nfl you see it in the nfl but it seems way more prevalent in major league baseball do you think there's a reason
1: for that yeah i mean i, I guess they're growing up around the game when their dads are in the big leagues i mean that, is, that's is that the same the thing with the nfl
0: off. too or no not so much
1: I don't know that kids are are in a clubhouse during the NFL games, and that's... it's once a week. It's not every day. Like I okay. feel, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't recall seeing little kids running around NFL uh, clubhouses before, after, or during the week. And I do in Major League Baseball. What well, do guess. you think? It's because
0: players' careers are shorter in the NFL too. Like
1: maybe they're. It, it you know, could very well be. They're kind of out I, by the I, early thirties. I 30s, mean, I think it's happening in the NBA for the first time. I think it's going to happen. I think LeBron James's kid is going to play uh, well, against that. Kobe. <laughs> right?
0: Kobe's a famous son of a famous basketball he player. Is, right? but his
1: dad was was retired, you know, long retired right. before he got to the NBA. But I, I think LeBron is going to play until his kid makes it. Wow, that'd be a scene, man. That'd be. It's fun. not that far away. It's I'm trying to
0: think of other away. great uh, father-son combinations NBA. That's another good one, too, where, you know, trying to find the juniors or, the, you know, you don't see a lot of juniors or a lot of legacies. Hardaway? Hardaway. Yeah, there's one. But it's it's a lot harder in baseball. Like, you just start rattling the Ripkins. You rattle these families, the Matthews and the Tim Raines. is like, oh, you kind of keep going. strawberry
1: Strawberry's son played uh uh dj strawberry plays right. college basketball
0: right but i'm just saying but but, but daryl was a baseball so
1: basketball player. basketball yeah, yeah
0: yeah the basketball basketball tradition or even the nfl nfl tradition too like that's kind of a, an interesting one it's something about fathers and sons in baseball i don't know what it is but yeah, maybe it's because yeah, maybe these guys so. do play into their 30s and maybe because like you said they're they're around so much it's every day and they're you know they get out there and, and look and they're also playing in the summertime when there's no school right so maybe there's a certain thing. like, Yeah, I'm going to go out to the ballpark and see dad and all that stuff and get to hang out at batting practice. The other
1: interesting thing is that when you have, like, a player and, like, one is a pitcher and then one becomes a hitter or one's a hitter and one becomes a pitcher, that's always interesting, too. Like, right. they, it, like, how, like how does that even happen? Like, your dad was a pitcher and they can't hit, but then your son is a hitter? It's, it's do you like, think it, Do you think it's ever weird as a
0: dad when, like, your kid becomes a better player than you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: it's – Is there, like – I, 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 I would think –
1: I would think it's that's got to be a better situation than the opposite. I, it's well, got to be tough for the kid to have to live up to the expectation of the father. That's, well, especially be. if your
0: father's a legendary player. Like, I think that's very difficult. I mean, Ken Griffey Sr. was a pretty darn good player. Really I think good. Ken Griffey Jr. was, like, one of the greatest ever. You know, I, I think that's that, that's a fascinating thing because like, I'm sure you're proud. At the same time, as an athlete, you have a certain amount of pride, too, like in yourself and your skills. And we see your kid kind of surpass you i guess i wonder if that's you, weird at all
1: do you think i'm right do you think lebron james plays one game with his son in the nba i wouldn't put it past his son's got to. you got to bet heavily against it how old is his son now i think he's is he four years away brett is it four
0: Does i he think, gotta play four years? i think he could play another four years i i could see i, do too. I don't see why not I'm especially this school.
1: School. So he's got to come straight out of high school probably too well no actually got college right one year of college, right? so th- year of college yeah so three drafts yeah I, I think it's gonna happen
0: I, you know what? i th- I think you're right. i'm I'm not gonna put it past him. I mean, because, it,
1: because by the way, Joe, even if he is not the best player coming out of college,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that would be a monumental thing for the NBA to make happen. And at the very least, you're putting that kid on a ten day NBA contract to make it happen, right? Like it's it's, oh, it's I would hope so. It's, it's a great junior deal, you know, like it's it's gonna happen. If they can if if, if the stars align and LeBron is still playing, I think, I think the NBA makes it happen. It, it would be – it's never happened, right? I mean, it would be a first. So Yeah, I think it would be very cool. Dwayne Wade also uh, – I believe his son's also playing uh, as well. But Dwayne Wade, of course, retired. So, All right, uh, that'll do it for our show. Thanks to Brett, Danny, and Ryan for putting our show together today. Thanks to Scott Bogman, Mike Tagliere for appearing on the program. For my co-host, Joe PZP. i I'm Craig Mish. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Monday. Scott Farrell, coast-to-coast, coming up a little bit later. Stay tuned for him. Some in-game live as well. Joe and I will be back tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern for Fantasy Sports Today. Have a great day, everybody. See you.
3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.